Fire off, OC. Welcome to OC and Z and friends. Today, the friendly face happens to be a much more important <laughs> talent than we're normally accustomed to. So that. much more important. <laughs> a longtime NFL veteran, a two-time pro bowler, an all-pro linebacker. Who, A man, we will get to this, who played multiple positions at the NFL level, which is just insane. Mr. Lorenzo Alexander, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Just out here in Paradise Valley, sheltering in place and kind of doing my part to help us get us through this pandemic. So it's been crazy, though, you know, trying to pretend to be a teacher every day. And I know my kids are tired of me uh, being on <laughs> and grilling them constantly. What kind of teacher are you for the homeschooling? I'm old school. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving it to you raw, giving it to you tough. My, You know, Zach knows my Uncle Steve a little bit. And so yep. if you have an understanding of who he is and how old school he is, you get to understand how I'm teaching my kids. And so I got, I'm to the point to where my daughter doesn't even want to do PE anymore. She's she's avoiding it at all costs because I'm going all in all the time. And it's not like, I mean, you get in trouble, you sent right to the principal's office. Principal's right there in your classroom. Yeah, I'm the principal. I'm the dean. You know, I'm, I'm everything. She's definitely hard to get away from me. And my wife tries to save her, but at the end of the day, I want the best for my daughter. And she's just getting it just in buckets fulls right now instead of like cups from time to time, like when we're living in a normalcy. I can only imagine what it's like to be the child of a football player, let alone just like a hardcore dad that I plan on being whenever I have kids, and I'm sure OC is kind of hardcore too, but like yeah. a full-blown NFL player that is just drilling you on the regular basis. Yeah, you got to hit these push-ups. You got you to run these laps. I'm right. sure you're training them well, though. Yeah, I am. I'm, you know, And it's not even about them being an athlete like I was or – you know, being the best or being the greatest, I I'm talking about life skill principles. So I get upset just off of effort. Yeah. That's the main thing. Like, yeah. oh, I'm trying. I'm like, I'm looking at you. No, you're not. <laughs> and so that, and, then, and she's a lot like I was when I was young. And so that's why I think it's been me and her. She, her name is Zoe. Oh, okay. Me Renzo, and so I like that. A lot of yeah. and it's just that laziness is her go-to. And so that's what I'm constantly, you know, <laughs> on her about. My and son Pop loves to work out. So it's all good with him. Papa Zoe doesn't put up with that. No, nah, not at all. How old are your kids? Uh, so at home we have my daughter's 11. That's the one I get into with them with. And then I have nine and five-year-old boys. And then my oldest daughter, she's in grad school. She's 24. I ask you that because I have a one-year-old daughter. I only have one child. I have a one-year-old daughter. Oh, and okay. She already runs me. You know what I'm saying? I don't know when I'm going to be able to make a transition to be a disciplinarian. Be like, All right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get it done. Because right now, I thought I was going to be tough dad. And yeah. I am just a puddle of melted goo when it comes to that baby. So. It, it, wear, it wears off once they can start talking to you and then you feel like you have another wife in the house. It wears off really quick once they get to that teenage and they get real smart mouth with you. So. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry about it. Enjoy this time, though. Don't wish yeah. for it. Just, just enjoy it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, see, I want when Zoe to talk after I start with the high school story. I want you guys to talk about because you played at the University of Utah and you were like a utility guy. And Zoe had such a crazy, bizarre career that I want to get into. But I want you guys to just kind of talk about what that is in terms of playing football because. I was never cut from that cloth. Like I had to be the quarterback or the tight end or the, you know, the starting forward. Like I'm a diva. I couldn't do the grind work of yeah, special I know. teams. So I, know. So I, I want you to get into that. But before we do anything, I need to tell the story of Zoe. Okay. So I went to St. Mary's. I went to a Berkeley elementary school. So I wanted to go to Berkeley High. My right. mom made me go to St. Mary's because my brother went there. It was a private school. She thought I'd be safer. 
blah, 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 blah. So we had an agreement that I would go there for one year, and if I didn't like it, then I could transfer to Berkeley High. I called her the day that we got our yearbooks on the day that we got out of school to tell her to transfer to Berkeley High. (laughs) Anyways, while I was there, I played baseball, basketball, and football. Now, I was not good enough like Zoe. We were both freshmen. Zoe was on the varsity team. I was on the freshman team, okay? (laughs) So that just tells you the level of skill between me and him. But what we did at the end of the year, and this is only, I think, specifically for some weird reason, St. Mary's has this hatred for Piedmont. Anyways, we had a game against Piedmont. We brought – I would say we brought you up, but technically if we're bringing you from varsity to freshman, then we brought you down. We brought you you down for one game. And you were three of us, yeah. Yes, and you were an offensive lineman on varsity. We made you our running back, and you just steamrolled everybody for like 450 yards and five touchdowns. Is all of that accurate? Do I have that right? Hey, man, that's part of the legend, man. I don't, I, I really don't remember that game, but I – Oh, I, I do. Us, I, I remember I, us winning. All we did was hand winning. the ball to you, yeah. and you just – you crushed these poor freshman Piedmont kids. <laughs> you just ran right through them, and I'm, I swear to God, I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Okay, I'll put the minimum at 300 yards and four touchdowns, but I think it was more like 450 and five. That's amazing. So you get the, what are you, as a freshman, you're what, 14, 15 year old, you get the Lorenzo Alexander man child who's been yeah. on the varsity level. Just, just. My question is, what kind of pathological attitude is being fostered with your freshman coaches that are just like, we need to bring so down to crush these people? Yeah, you know, it was really our varsity coach, and, you know, Zach could talk to this Shag Shaughnessy, Dan Shaughnessy. Oh, Shag, good old Shag. Yeah. A legend coach in the Bay Area as far as high school. He did Salesians, St. Mary's, back to Salesians, and he's kind of bouncing around. Been coaching for like 50, 60 years. And this he's an older dude back then. I mean, he had to be in his late 60s, early 70s. So this dude was just straight old school. He didn't care. Yeah. So he hated Piedmont because Piedmont was in Oakland, but they were like their own little city. Not Very really snobby. Oakland. Yeah, yeah not they really Oakland. On the hill, yeah. Right. And yeah. kind of looked down on us and yeah. kind of like we better than you type of mentality. Yeah. And he yeah. he hated that. And so anytime we was playing Piedmont, he wanted to murder them. He didn't care how we beat them, but he wanted to beat them freshman, JV and varsity. And so he sent like me, Omar, I want to say Julian Keys even came down. It was like three of us. We could smash them. <laughs> I find it so funny because it's not like that was even your position. Like right. we we took you from O lineman and we just said because you're huge and you're gonna smash these dudes, we're just gonna put you in running back. You probably didn't even know how to hit a hole or like right. juke move. You just ran over these dudes, and I was yeah. just sitting there in awe, cheering my ass off. We won like sixty to seven or something. <laughs> So in Utah, I grew up in Utah, though, and in Utah, the JV and sophomore teams, they play the day before. They play Thursday night, and then varsity's on Friday night. Was it the same thing? So you played games on back-to-back nights? That's exactly what happened. I played, I think it was a Thursday night, and I think we might have played Saturday afternoon (laughs) because we didn't have lights at St. Mary's, and it might have been a home game. So we did Thursday, Saturday. So it's kind of cool you grew up in Utah. Salt Lake, my wife was actually from Salt Lake. Oh, for real? Yeah. Dude, Murray High School. So it's, uh, that's like three miles down the road from where I grew up. So okay, a little sidebar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Salt Lake, underrated town. Your wife knows. You guys ever visit back here? You ever come through? 
Yeah, we come from time to time. I, I, I really love it. Love the skin. Love the people. It's, it's a little too white for me, if I'm going to be honest. It's not yes, thank but, you. Uh, it is, it is, I was, I interrupt. OC saying that Salt Lake is an underrated town is a complete fallacy. It is, <laughs> if anything, it's overrated. No, it's, it's super white. It's it, super not <laughs> fun. There's nothing, especially for a guy like me. I can't stand the place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't beautiful. Last. The mountains are beautiful, and I'm sure the skiing is nice or whatever, but right. no, it's not an underrated. Hey. <laughs> I, have, I have 80% Irish blood, and Salt Lake is too white even for me. So if you're out there listening and you're wondering about the lack of diversity in Salt Lake, <laughs> it's, it's the knock on what we got going on here. Although yeah, we do have a lot of, like, if you love the Polynesian culture, we got a ton of yeah. Polynesians here. Yeah. We don't, we just don't have black folks. We've got a lot of Latinos. We've got a ton of Polynesians, but I see them. I must not be in that part of town. I never see any Polynesians because I actually, I actually count minorities every time I go, and that was <laughs> one of my reasons how I told my wife I would never live there. We can go visit, but it, it, until I can get to twenty in a car ride, I'm, I'm, we're not living there. Well, you're part of the problem then, because all the people here are counting minorities when they drive around too. <laughs> They're trying to keep the quota low, and you're part. Of yeah, I guess that's what it's in. But it's all good. I, we got great friends there. You know, I love it. Our family's there. It is a good town. I haven't spent a lot of time, but when I went, we've had a good time. No, it's your assessment is accurate. It, it really, <laughs> I think both of our assessments are accurate. I really, it really is a great town, but there are things that could be better about it, and that is a little cultural diversity is definitely one of them. But let's get back to you, football player. Zach, you muted your microphone. Although – you being silent, it's a blessed moment for us. <laughs> yeah, he does talk a lot. I don't even know how you do a show with him. Well, you, most of it like this. All I've known him. It's me. It's me nodding a lot. You know. Oh, okay. <laughs> How's retirement? You liking it? I mean, so far it's been good. I haven't really missed anything, you know. So this is like a normal off season. I ain't missed, you know. So I think once the games start playing, I probably feel a certain type of way. But honestly, I don't think I'm going to miss it because it was my decision. You know, I could have still played. They still wanted me. And I wanted to do something different. And so I think with that mindset, I, I'm good with it. You're back. Okay. God. All right. Sorry about that. I just wanted to add one thing about Salt Lake also that is terrible is that <laughs> I was at the airport and I went to the bar and I got a beer and they said that they were giving me a half beer. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, it has half amount of the alcohol. And I said, okay, well, are you charging me half the price? And they said, no. And so that's why Salt Lake is also awful. <laughs> Hold on, this this is not bag on my hometown podcast. Okay? I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, so legendary high school football career. Obviously, Zachariah is still talking about it. 18 years later, tells you one thing or another, and then you went hometown boy. You say you went to Cal, stayed in the Bay yeah. Area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, some there. I think my grandfather wanted me to go when I was young. I actually, personally, actually wanted to go to Stanford and had committed to him. What? And I. Yeah, people don't okay, really, first people of forget all, about I didn't it. Know that, and as a, a fellow Cal Bear, how in God's name did you want to go to Stanford? You weren't good enough to even think about going to Stanford, so that's why <laughs> it wasn't on your board. Cal's I wanted to go there because university in the world. Cal is. I'm glad I ended up at Cal. It's the number one public university. It's a more, uh, I think, cultural fit as far as the type of people that go there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as a young black man in, in Oakland coming out of the hood, Stanford is. It is on another level. I hate to admit that, but it is on another level just from a world perspective, right? And so having the opportunity to go there, knowing the networking and being able to walk into any job 
that I could have wanted to go to. I wanted to. And they were good in football at that time under Ty Willingham. And Cal was not that good at all. And so I think with those two things, I wanted to go there. But I didn't get in. My GPA was I had a 3-4 my sophomore year, and I didn't get in. So whatever. So ended up going to Cal. Had a great time there. Obviously, we sucked my freshman year. We were 1-11. and But by the time I left Cal, we were number five in the country, and I think we were 10-2 and that year. And we played in the bowl game down in San Diego. I can't even think about it, but – Playing in the in the pro bowl, right? Were you there? Bowl. There you go. Yeah. Were you there with Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers? Because that's when I was there. Yeah, that's my senior year. My senior year, we had Marshawn was our running back, JJ Arrington. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. We had Chase Lyman. We had Sean Carter. Uh, D Jack was after I left, and so, okay. uh, but we had a lot of guys. Brandon Ebang, a ton of guys that either had opportunity to play in the league or played in the league or still playing in the league on that team, yeah. and so. It was really cool to go through that experience. I'm obviously, being up at Cal, learning about the culture, understanding how academically renowned that was as well. And so that's even been cool to, as I walk in the rooms, people see an athlete. But once I say Cal, their eyes and, and their attention yeah. changes when I mention that name. That Yeah, I graduated. I have my degree from Cal. Yeah. And so it's, it's really cool to, to show that dynamic when they say, oh, here, this guy's another football player. Oh, well, yeah, actually, I went to Cal and graduated. Oh, oh, really? So it was, uh, you know, it's just, it's just crazy how that works for you. So it's oh, a I mean, experience. believe me, Zoe, people are constantly surprised when I tell them I graduated. <laughs> like, people can't really believe that. I did want to ask you just about your journey because I, I'm wondering, A, the first person I think of for whatever reason is Kurt Warner in terms of just kind of coming out of nowhere. But, like, yeah. I've you throughout this entire process i'm not going to pretend like you and i were best friends or whatever yeah 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 yeah. but you know we've been in touch and because you only went to school one year and then you left it's <laughs> <laughs> your fault i had to go to the high cuz you feel me i had to, to be with my berkeleyonians anyways i'm just wondering like when you think about your career can you think of other examples where so you had like a successful stint with Washington, right, doing mostly special teams. Then I think you spent a couple of years with the Cardinals. Yeah, you spent two years with the Cardinals. I got injured I'm, there, so that really kind of detoured my career a little bit. Ready for you, Zachariah? I need to jump in here because you're not doing an adequate job of setting up. You cannot understate. Lorenzo Alexander ended up being a Pro Bowler and an All Pro player. I, I'm getting to that. You're, you're going backwards. I want to go the right way here. Just <laughs> trust me here, okay? You come out of Cal Berkeley as an undrafted free agent, correct? Yep. An undrafted free agent, defensive lineman, still playing D-line at the time. Right. And take us through the journey of you finding your fit in the NFL because it's a, it's prohibitively rare for someone to go from practice squad player to pro bowler, and that's exactly what you did. So give us the cliff notes at least, please. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I was undrafted out of Cal. I thought I was going to go maybe third or fourth round, like a lot of guys, and it didn't happen based on whatever reasons. Looking back, I understand why I kind of cut myself short, just not having the right mindset or the right habits. I was talented, but I didn't have it all wrapped up in a nice bow yet. So when I drafted to Carolina, spent a a year and a half there, was on practice squad, got cut that next season. And and it's crazy how politics work. Going undrafted, I was talented enough to make the team, but they pretty much said, hey, we drafted a couple of guys at your position. We're going to put them on the active roster and you on practice squad. And so that's kind of why I kind of got bumped, whatever, you know. And so um, ended up in Washington. And the crazy story most people don't know in Washington is, is when I was going through the tryout, I actually wasn't the guy they chose to put on their practice squad roster. 
the dude that they picked pulled his hamstring during the workout and they end up seeing it and told him to go home after they figured his hamstring was pulled and then I got my opportunity that way. Wow. And so becoming like the one-man game, that kind of stereotype of playing everything that I did, actually started on practice squad in 2006 on the Redskins. Had an old-school coach, Joe Gibbs, and for some reason I kept getting stuck with these old-school coaches. But on practice squad, I would do offensive line look, defensive line look, all the special teams. And so I literally took every possible snap that a practice squad player could take in a practice, I took every single one of those reps that 2006 year. And so out of that really birthed, I think, the possibilities in the sight of the coaches saying, man, this dude could probably play offensive line for us. Uh, he could probably do like an XO tight end for us or a fullback scenario. And so I actually, in 2007, when I went into training camp before I made my first roster, they moved me to offensive line. So I did offensive line that whole offseason. And then right when we go to training camp, they say, hey, uh, we need you to move back to defensive line. So I moved back to defensive line. Went through all the training camp through defensive line. And then the first week, I think Randy Thomas tore his tricep and he was out for the year. And I moved back to offensive line. And I think just through that process of going back and forth and showing the coaches that I can handle the workload from a mental standpoint and execute certain techniques they needed me to, I kind of morphed into this utility lineman where I would play guard when we were doing some pulling stuff or some outside zones they would put me in or put me in tight end when we we're doing some pass protections or run blocking. And it just kind of grew. And so it was kind of fun to play both sides. And in 2007, I actually played in five different positions in one game. I played defensive line. I did special teams. I did guard. I did fullback. And then an XO tight end spot in one game, which I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but it's really cool. I actually got the game ball up on my wall from that game in 2007. And that's really where it started from. And then after that, just earning my value there, Special teams started becoming a part of what I did as well as I lost my weight over my career. So we got to talk about, I know Zachariah gets uncomfortable when you talk about man's bodies, but we got to talk about what you have to do just to maintain the muscle mass, the size, to play offensive and defensive line in the NFL. And by the way, those are often very two different body types, right? Right. You were doing both, and then you got to still maintain the speed where you can be a viable tight end or fullback or whatever. And eventually, you shed how many pounds? Like, what was your max, and what was when you weight when you uh, when you called it good? Yeah, well, my my heaviest I ever was in the league was three hundred fifteen pounds, and the lightest I was two thirty five is probably what I played at two thirty five, two forty. And so that in itself is unheard of, right? Most guys do that after they're done playing, but mine was really out of necessity. So I always get the question, well, how did you do it, or you know, what made you do it? My job, I wanted to keep my job, and and if you've been around football at all, I mean, I was a bubble player, even though I had kind of carved out my niche. If somebody was a better defensive end or, you know, offensive lineman that would have came in, I could have easily found my way out. And so I remember they brought in, man, uh, I can't think of the man's name. The guy that stepped on the guy's face, uh, Haysworth. There you go. Haysworth. They brought him in. And I was a, technically a D tackle on the roster. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wasn't going to make the team as a D tackle, so they bumped me out the defensive end. And so for me to be able to make that transition properly, I couldn't be 300-plus pounds. I had to be a little bit lighter. So I dropped down to, like, 295. And when I dropped down to 295, they started putting me on kickoff. And so that's when I really started finding my niche, and that was back in the day where they still had the wedges, the old-school mentality of football where you're just going down there blowing up 300-pound linemen that are in this wedge, and they're trying to take you on. And so – I did that for a while at 295, still played defensive end and still did some stuff niche-wise on offense as that tight end. 
played, did that for a couple of years, and then we went to like a 3-4 system. Yep. And so I really wasn't big enough or long enough to play a 3-4 defensive end, and so I went to outside backer, and I needed to lose a little bit more weight to do that. And, and as this transition was happening, I was becoming more prominent on special teams. Yeah. And I remember one play where I don't know how I ended up on it, but I think I just read the play. They was going to run a screen to uh, Westbrook from the Eagles back in the day. I just ended up on him. And he turned the ball. He turned up field. Donovan man saw him, threw it, and I'm chasing him. and ended up pulling the hamstring. So <laughs> knowing that I'm chasing guys that are a lot faster than me, and I knew my position was changing, I decided to lose another 20 pounds. And, and so how do I do it? Just changing the way I eat. I stopped drinking, you know, doing some cross training, like cycling, wrestling, some different things that which is out of the box of the norm. And that's how I kind of did it. And so it was like a gradual progression over the length of my career to where eventually I became about 240, 245 linebacker that was still doing a versatile of things as far as special teams, inside backer, outside backer, rushing inside as a three technique or a defensive end on third downs. And a lot of that was just because I understood the game from various perspectives because I had played off it. Yeah. And it's, look, it's, I hope people understand how specialized football at the highest level has become, how specialized the NFL is. There's the minutia of where your hands are supposed to be, your feet are supposed to be as a run stopping defensive lineman versus a guy who's maybe more inclined to do the pass rush stuff. It's all so different. And that kind of versatility is incredibly rare. I mean, we see at the more glamorous positions, you see Taysom Hill right now for the Saints doing all this crazy. People are fascinated by it. And you should be fascinated by it because it is bananas that someone could be good enough at one position to make an NFL roster. You were good enough at four or five different positions to be valuable to an NFL roster. Yeah. So super underrated. My question for you is, which was your favorite? If you had to go back and let's say someone tells you at the beginning of your career, you're only going to play one thing the whole way through, knowing what you know now, what are you choosing? Ooh, one thing through. You know what? I really love – Special teams, I mean, that's probably my favorite because that really put me on another level, and that's where I made my first Pro Bowl at. Um, I, I know rushing the passer and being a dominant linebacker is probably more prestigious, but you have to have a certain mindset because I used to always mess with, like, Brian Arakpo or Ryan Kerrigan. Like, they couldn't play special teams, and I don't know if it was their mindset or whatever, but if you would to put them out there, they, were, they had all the tools, but they didn't have the ability to see the game in that much space and then still be able to go close on a guy that runs a lot faster than you and make a play or be able to block a guy and fight a guy literally 40, 50 yards downfield and dominate him or hem him up at the line so he doesn't even get down there. It just takes a different type of dude. And I was blessed enough to be around other guys that show me that. And I think that's just such a unique trait in the league because everybody doesn't want to do it. And so I think I was unique in that facet of the game as far as special teams. And that's why I would say special teams because it would set me apart. I think if I would have done it similar to Matthew Slater, if yeah. I've done that my whole career, I'll be in that same elk of a Matthew Slater. And if they gave out Hall of Fame jackets to special teamers, he would get one and I would be like right there in the mix with him, you know, like a Steve Tasker and stuff. So I just really take a lot of pride in special teams. What I want to ask you, Zoe, first of all, when we talked yesterday, the first thing I said was I wanted to let you know how proud of you I am. Not that you care about whether or not I'm proud <laughs> or not, but – Seriously, though, that's all you were setting out to do is make Zach proud. I know it. Right. <laughs> we'll leave the middle finger out of the podcast. But, Zoe, seriously, like, from where you were at when you were cut by the writers and you were coming on my radio show, which I thank you for on a regular basis just to chop it up or whatever, but to go from that to all of a sudden getting a fat-ass contract from the Bills 
and be like this all pro in the NFL. To me, the question I want to ask you is how did that transition go? Because you must have gone from thinking, where am I going to get my next paycheck? How am I going to work? How am I going to provide for my family to all of a sudden you're one of the stars in the league? Yeah, I'll even take you back a couple of years before that because I actually got tore my list, Frank, when I signed a, a decent deal in Zona. And that really set me back as far as my athleticism and what I could do from a physical standpoint. And also it was the reason why they ended up letting me go because I was over 30 and they thought I wasn't going to be able to play. And so that offseason I got cut from Arizona. The Raiders picked me up and I was really starting to feel like my old self. And so that whole year I was on special teams actually playing pretty well. And it was crazy enough. We had a couple of guys go down. Khalil might have been nicked up and we had one other guy that they might have cut. I know Alden Smith had gotten suspended for whatever reason. I was just the years I was there. And I was like, man, put me on defense. I can play defense. <laughs> and man, they, they didn't want to play me because they didn't trust me at that point. Even though I had been in the league for a significant amount of time, they didn't have yeah. any rapport with me. They didn't understand who I was. And I got to play versus the Kansas City Chiefs that year at the end of the season. They actually had a pretty good game and balled out. And at the end of the season, it was like, Jack Del Rio was like, we should have played you more. You're good. I was like, hell yeah, I know I'm good. And so <laughs> I, I say that means so why the give you a shot. This is, and they were the only team. Like, the Raiders didn't want to sign me up, but I already knew I was good. So it wasn't like I needed validation. I didn't worry during that time because I knew I was going to have an opportunity somewhere. I just didn't know where it was going to be. And I had to wait through free agency, wait through the you know that first, second wave, and I didn't get picked up until maybe a week before off-season workouts. Wow. And honestly, the Bills were the only team that reached out. And, were, and I didn't want to go up there. Who wants to go to Buffalo? I mean, it's kind of like Salt Lake right now. Exactly. <laughs> Very much like Salt Lake. Yeah, but it ended up being a great place for me. The culture, blue collar, hardworking, and obviously I got an opportunity through some injuries to start. Was that really your only shot? That was the only team that gave you a shot? That was the only team that wanted to bring me in and sign me. Yep. And Nobody else me up. God bless. Yeah, and so I went out there, bought out my that, that year under Rex Ryan, had 12 and a half sacks. I probably could have had more, but I ended up pulling my hamstring because I was still playing special teams. I was on all three units. Down Westbrook again? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I forgot what happened. I actually got pushed in the back on this one. I was actually outrunning somebody, and they kind of pushed me in my back a little bit, and, and I overstrided. That's dirty. And then I was playing all the defensive plays, which guys that are premier rushers, they don't do it. It's not one guy in the league that's a high-end rusher that also does rushing. So I believe in my mind, I had 12 and a half. I probably could have easily had 15 or 16, but would not get sustained the injury and then also just being fresh. And so, I, you know, I was just feeling myself because I knew I could play. I was at the right place as far as feeling physically great, but then also mentally playing well and then lined up with Kyle Williams. And so it was just a great year for me, kind of validate my ability on defense. And uh, it was great. I got picked up. The only thing I, I wish would have never happened was Rex Ryan didn't get fired because they were going to really pay me. You know, we had a new GM and a new head coach come in and they were kind of resetting things. And so I didn't get probably what I deserved, even though I got taken care of relatively Speaking, so that's probably the only thing I wish would have happened a little you bit. You got a pretty big deal, though, so. <laughs> I got a, see, and it's you all got, relative, right? I'm not complaining oh. what I got because I know where I came from. Relatively speaking to other guys in the league at that time and what they were doing, I probably should have been compensated a little bit better. But, I'm, you know, it is what it is at this point. I'm not mad about it. I it could have been better. I wish I would have just hit a little bit earlier. It's all about timing, especially when you're over 30 in the league. How does a guy from Oakland in the Bay Area, Cal, how does a guy like you interact with Bill's Mafia, that insane, table-busting, <laughs> zuba-pants-wearing, 
<laughs> those You're, people are insane, so those people yeah, are yeah, yeah. Fine. And that's just one aspect of, of Bill's Mafia. I mean, you got some normal people out there, too, that are a lot more mild-mannered than the people jumping off uh, buses on the tables and <laughs> we don't ketchup see and mustard all over them. You don't, they don't showcase that because that's not as exciting as all the other stuff. But, I mean, they're awesome people, man. I mean, they just love the community. They serve on and off the field. I mean, they come and cheer us on. But when I have a charity event, they're showing up and supporting. It, it was just great. And I think I relate well to people because of where we grew up. I mean, even St. Mary's, even though it was a private school, it was very diverse. I mean, you had kids that came from nothing in the hood because that was the mission of the LaSallean way to people that had bread and who lived up in Oakland Hill. And so be able to conversate with different people was something that I just grew up doing and experienced with. And the same thing with Cal. Cal, you have a very eclectic group of people that go there. Yeah. And so it, w- it was cool to be able to go and, and be with blue collar working people because that's where I come from. And so I could relate to people in all areas. And so it was a great time. They were very family oriented. I'm married. I had my four kids. And so my kids love it. They actually was upset that we moved to Phoenix. They loved it so much, even with the winters that we had to endure up there. So it was just a great place all the way around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of St. Mary's, a great part of that is that they give scholarships where they pay for the school for a lot of people to come in there so that it is diverse. And that's very important. I wanted to ask you about your role on the NFLPA and the negotiations with the new bargaining agreement. How does that go down as an athlete? How do you deal with other athletes when you speak to them? How do you deal with the owners? They seem right. to be two totally different groups, right? Like you've got the yeah. players on one side and the owners on one side. One's a lot yeah. different than the other. So how do you navigate that? I mean, it's definitely hard because it's not its not the environment that I just naturally thrive in because it's, it's not about doing the best thing. It's, it's, it's about winning, right? And in negotiations – you would hope to try to find something that's mutually beneficial for everybody. But the mindset of owners, for the most part, just based on where this league historically has come from, how it started and what we've had to fight for, their mindset is not doing what's best for yeah. both parties. This is what's best for them. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, it's hard to go in there and fight for something that they're, they're holding so tight on, even though our idea or the way we want to do things may be beneficial to them. But at the end of the day, they care about control and money. And, you know, just like with any, yeah, control and bread, right? And so they try to institute a lot of things through the CBA that we are always trying to push back on to allow, shift more power and obviously more resources to players. It's just how it is. I mean, it's just set up to be a, a natural thing. But this time around, it wasn't as bad as 2011. It's just a hard process because we have 2,200 players that all kind of want different things, and they have 32 guys that are more aligned. Let me ask you specifically the weed thing. <laughs> My dad, who I bring up on every podcast, right. and I don't care. I'm going to do it unapologetically until the entirety of this podcast is over. But he had a cartoon of a cigarette and a joint. And the cigarette was like, I killed 500,000 people this year. And the joint was like, I haven't killed anybody. Like, So like the weed stuff to me is so stupid. But that was something right. that the players had to – like, they viewed it as a sacrifice when it shouldn't even be a sacrifice. So I'm just wondering, yeah. what of the specifics of the agreement did you like and not like? Um, I would say, well, I, I hated the 17th game. I, I mean, being an older player, I hated that. But they moved, but then I also like the moving up in percentage, you know, which is 48% now versus 47. Yeah. And it's, it's done a little bit different, but it's more money in the players' pockets. And so there's some give and take to that. Which, and the lower you know, it's, play it's players, about, right? The lower paid players are getting more now? Correct. Their minimums got like bumped you? up. There's some, there some benefits and stuff. 
Then we've also, we, there's also like for some guys like that are former players that, that are going to have some negative impact to them as well that are on a disability benefit. So there was a lot of give and take in it. I think we moved more positively in the, in the positive, but then there are some people that are going to be negatively impacted by the deal, which happens in every single CBA. You're not, never going to please everybody. And as far as the weed thing, that never really came up as far as our negotiations. I think the owners realized that they were losing some impactful legal. players. That it's legal and it doesn't kill anybody? Right. Well, not even that. I mean, I don't even think – I think if they didn't – they tried to, to make it our issue because guys obviously smoke and they wanted to do that. But I think once they realized that they were losing games because they were losing some players that were going to help them win – on Sundays that it was actually hurting them and the image wise that they decided to shift it. It wasn't even about it being legal. It was more about, okay, how is this hurting or helping us win games? You know, at the end of the day, is this taking money out of my pocket or in my pocket? Cause they don't really care how the player is impacted. It may sometimes look like that, but at the, the root of where their decisions are is, is it making me money, losing me money? Am I losing control or am I gaining control? That's it. Everything else is just extra if it works out to look like it's a positive move on their part. Lorenzo Alexander, this is Gabo, a.k.a. Sal the Books. He's got a question. Yeah. Hey, so can you hear me all right now? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. So I was wondering, we talked a lot about the versatility hallmark of your career throughout. I was curious, one thing that we've noticed kind of in youth sports is a trend over the past 10, 20 years towards more yeah. specialization. So you see guys at a younger and younger age playing the same sport year-round, so... AAU for basketball or seven on seven for football or travel ball for baseball and things like that. And I was wondering if when you you mentioned a couple times about doing cycling and wrestling as like a cross training methodology, yeah. Body. I was wondering if you played multiple sports uh, seriously growing up and if you felt like that if you did, if it had a, an impact towards your versatility when you know as a professional you had to have the dexterity to adapt new skills, new positions. Yeah. To fend off injury when you were using your body in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it all right there. You pretty much just laid out all the positive aspects of playing multiple sports. I mean, my, all my kids play multiple sports. I did growing up from soccer to baseball to, to football. I mean, my kids even play hockey and lacrosse. Close them everything. Being in Buffalo. Okay. So you, you might be the only black father with kids that play lacrosse and hockey. Yeah, well, I, I lived in Buffalo, and it's and it's prominent up there, right? And so you are n normally a product of your environment for the most part. And so I'm exposing them to as many things as possible because I don't really know what they're going to love. I don't want them to put them into a sport. A lot of times parents specialize their kids because they miss their opportunity to be a great <laughs> baseball player or football player. I don't need to do that. I accomplished my dreams, and so now I want my kids to do theirs. And I know even for parents that are doing that, I would advise you not to because I was just mentioned. When you play multiple sports, you're working on different skill sets. You move differently than in football than you do soccer or basketball and baseball. Hand-eye coordination is huge in other sports versus other sports. Foot coordination. There's just so many things. And then you're not overtraining certain body parts like for baseball. Pitchers is a huge thing. If you do that year-round, you're going to throw kids' arms out. If you play hoop year-round on a hard surface, you're going to have kids that have bad knees. And so it's great to be able to do Different sports, different movements, because at the end of the day, you're creating a better athlete. And it was like a stat that I saw as far as NFL players. It was a high percentage. It might have been like 70 or 80 percent, maybe even higher, where kids played two or more sports in high school that were first round picks. And so if you want your kid to be great as a great athlete or have a chance to get a scholarship, 
you want to play as many sports as possible to, to gain that athleticism so then they in their main sport they're just better than everybody else because they have more tools in their tool belt yeah. than other kids do and so that's why I think it's so important to play multiple sports and why my kids are doing it because they're going to be better than yours because they have more ability to draw on different experiences from different sports that they played in and yeah. different things that they may have encountered yeah. Well, well, those kids are going to be better than yours also because they've got Gene. So. I'm six five, Pippin. It ain't like a, it ain't like. No, it's a slow six five. Hang on, Pippin. I'm first team all league. Okay, so it's not a slow six five. What it's only league, in his what head. League was that? Only in his what head. Sport? It's a Larry Bird six five in basketball. I was first team all league. You don't know about the kids. What? Where? At Contra Costa and at at Kennedy and Richmond. At the YMCA. It's a it's a it's a soft six five. I don't know how slow it is, but it's, it's soft. A, it's it's very bird slow. Spot. Believe me, it was real slow. <laughs> I was a stud QB. I threw a few touchdowns at El Cerrito. Don't be hating on me, Zo. I'm I, not hating on you, man. I, huh? You gotta be comfortable with who you are, man. I am. You, so you should be proud that you were dominating. You see my medals hanging above my bed. As long as you talk about youth sports, though, this is a question that I have to have this conversation with you. I played football, not at the level you did, but then I became a professional fighter. I fought in the UFC, and yeah. um, and I retired right around the same age that you decided to retire. And I get asked about head trauma and CTE, and that's obviously become a huge conversation yeah. surrounding the NFL and football in general. you got kids playing multiple sports. If your kids want to come to you and they say, Dad, Football is going to be my thing. You're going to encourage that. You're going to try and discourage it. What's your stance? Yeah, yeah I, I would, I'm going to encourage it, but I want to do everything in the safest manner as possible. You know, obviously some of the drills that I grew up doing, I would necessarily wouldn't want my kids subjected to, like bull in the ring, getting up and tackling from, you know, 10, 15 yards apart, just running each other and colliding. It, I mean, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. And you're, you're already making a sport that's dangerous and, and it's a collision sport even more dangerous and stupid. And so... For me, my rule is I didn't play football until high school, and I think that gave my body a chance to develop. And so they play flag football right now and just trying to limit the impact on their bodies. And I think I don't want my kids to live in fear either. And So if you want to do something, I want you to go out there and do it in the safest way because it will be really hard for me because my kids are old enough to have been in the locker rooms with me. I mean, I can remember one time when I was with the Cardinals at training camp, me and Larry Fitzgerald are literally tossing my son back and forth. And so he has fond memories of meeting all these great players, seeing Cam Newton, hanging out with London Fletcher, being in the locker room, seeing daddy play on TV, provide for our family, and then say, hey, hey, son, by the way, you can't do what I just did. Yeah. That I, it's, it's really hard for me to tell my son that. And so I want to make sure he does it in the safest way. And then obviously, if he loves it, I'm going to uh, help him the way I can so that he can be the best and play as long as possible. But also, you got to understand the risk that go into it. So I'm full aware of what could possibly happen to me from 10 to 15 years from now. And that's why I'm trying to still live a healthy lifestyle, eat my fish oil, do things that's going to continue to challenge myself. Like I'm learning how to play the piano right now. That's something way outside my box. But you have to do things to be proactive as far as trying to help your brain recover and maintain and not just stop doing life. And then you end up withering away. And so but I'm not fearful because I know a lot of people that played this game for a long time. They're doing very well. Even yeah. though that's a could be a possible reality, you know, 20, 25 years from now. Yeah, that, I remember my grandma telling me she always made me do crossword puzzles. 
and she swore it was because it would prevent things down the line. But I know what you're saying. Like, just change your brain, move your brain around. Yeah. Yeah, so that it works in different ways. Before we get to Great Face Dave, he's our goofy guy on the show, and he's going to ask a question here in a second. But before we get to him, I want to ask you about The Last Dance. Have you been watching that, the Jordan documentary? Yeah, I missed the last night's episode. I got to watch them today. Oh. My wife wanted to watch Housewives. Yeah, I've seen them enough. Yeah, you've seen the first six. I just want to ask you about the mentality as an athlete, because I could tell when I was talking about you as just the special teamer or whatever, like – there was a part of you that got competitive and angry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you were like, hold on, bugger. Uh, I played yeah. hella different positions. I did yeah. hella. Anyway, yeah. um, a lot of the Jordan documentary is that he was overly competitive. And to me, I love that because I've always asked the question, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I hate to lose. When I go play a pickup game with my boys or whatever, I'm not thrilled after the win, but I am furious after the loss so i yeah. hate to lose more than i love to win so i just wanted right. to ask you as a guy that did it at the professional level how many guys you dealt with where you think it's more about them hating to lose than it is them loving to win i know i'm cut from the cause i hate to lose more than i love to win but i think that's changed the transition to a younger generation i think they love to win more than they hate to lose they like the the limelight and it's, just, it's different i don't know if it's better or worse but i i don't rock with it the same way right so um and I think this is how we grew up. You know, we grew up watching Jordan. Even though we got the, kind of like the last end of it, I think I was like 12 or 14, you still got most of that ingrained in you as part of your foundation. And so that's kind of where I lean. And like you said, I I am one of those dudes. Like I was kind of upset. Like, man, this dude is trying to undercut what, I, what I'm doing, right? And so <laughs> I have to be – I'm aware of that. And as a father, I mean, it's hard for me to let my kid beat me in, um, you know, checkers or wherever we're playing or – you don't let him oh, win. Yeah, yeah, you it's hard. Win. I have to be. I'm, I'm better with the baby because he's five. But like my son, who's nine, he's upset all the time with me. We wrestle, we shoot hoops, we do anything that's competitive. I'm not letting him beat me. He, he have to earn it, and it's gonna be a long time. And that's why I'm still lifting weights and stuff too. So, hold on, his swole ass NFL veteran dad is beating his little nine year old self up in a wrestling match. Tough son. Yep. The it best part of it, man. The best part, OC, is that he said, "I'm I'm better with the five year old." But <laughs> but just to your point, though, my dad never let me beat me in hoop, and we had a hoop in the garage. And the day that I beat him, he was so crushed. He was like, "Oh crap, my son can finally beat me!" Like I remember him being devastated when I beat him. Anyways, great face day. What do you got for the legend? Okay, thanks for joining us today, and I just wanted to set the tone. You never really know someone personally until you've been to their birthday party. So I got a question for you. If you could pick any birthday cake, what would it be? And we're having a birthday party. It's at Cold Stone. What is your ice cream that they're making for you? Go ahead. Okay. Wow. You you always got one of these guys that just kind of float and ask random questions out of nowhere, right? <laughs> Well, my favorite cake is actually uh, strawberries and whipped cream, and my daughter's an absolute fire baker. Good choice. So she actually made, like, this uh, little miniature ones last night that we had. That's my birthday cake. And then I like the, uh, what is it called, uh, like, strawberries wild or something like that. It's like a, the Your strawberries. Big, stra- the, big strawberries. Strawberry, strawberries blonde is what it's called at, yeah. at uh, Cold Stone. That's what I love. So, yeah, I love strawberries. <laughs> okay, you love strawberries. There Give you the go. Give the best something strawberry, Great Face Dave. That's all he wants. 
It's all ones, man. I now I know you. Now I know you better. From you know me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what an enlightening conversation. Thank <laughs> you. I know it's always one. It's always one somewhere. <laughs> so I got a question for you. We just American sports, live American sports returned this past weekend with the UFC. Yeah. Uh, as a guy who came from that background, I want to know what you think about the combat sports. Are you a boxing guy, an MMA guy? What do you like? Yeah, I, I would say I'm a casual fan. It's not like I'm going to sit down and just watch it or, or tune in, like, anticipation. But I really – I have a lot of respect for the sport. I mean, I used to train um, my my boys Jim Eddie Mason's gym, and we used to have a lot of mixed martial arts guys that used to come through there. And so working out with those guys and see how they trained, it was it was crazy. And then just trying to do some of the stuff or mess around with one dude, and they lock you up. Like, oh, get off me, dude. Get off me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy to kind of be a part of. And so I have a lot of respect. Kind of good friends with uh, Chandler Jones here. And obviously, you know what his brother does. So I try to catch some of the bigger fights. Or if they have, like, some of those smaller venues where you can go and check them out. We used to have, like, this uh, huge warehouse. They used to have, like, a fight night at. And you used to watch, sit down and watch 15 to 20 UFC fights. Guys that hadn't quite blown up yet. But you could see yeah. guys kind of working up the ranks. And so... Really love going to venues like that. I actually like going to events like that versus watching on TV. But I'm I'm definitely into it. And if somebody is going to invite me over or, or I know it's going to be on, I try to watch it. Yeah, Greg Hardy fought this last weekend. Obviously, Greg Hardy no longer in the NFL. Right. addition to the UFC. And he's – I've been – as a guy who came from college football, I was never a good college football player, but I was around guys who were like you, who were NFL caliber athletes. And then I made the transition into – in a mixed martial arts, and people thought I was like big and strong, and I'm like, no, you have no idea the kind of people I'm I'm coming from. Like, I'm I'm just a <laughs> yeah. human being, and some of these dudes that are playing in the NFL and the elite college football players, you guys are freaks. Let's just be honest. Like, you're not cut from the same cloth as normal human beings. And I always said from the beginning of my mixed martial arts journey, if you could get an NFL, like an all-pro caliber NFL athlete, and teach them how to fight, it would be a completely different thing. And that's what you get with Chandler Jones's brother, by the way, John Jones. Right. Yeah. He's got he's got all the athleticism that his two NFL brothers have. He's just a little taller and leaner, and he happens to be maybe the greatest fighter of all time. So now we got Greg Hardy, who we've seen do both. And look, none of us like the issues that have surrounded Greg Hardy in his personal right. life. But as a fighter, how quickly he's absorbed some of these things, it just, I mean, you don't have to apply it just to mixed martial arts. But when you get guys like yourself, NFL caliber talents, and you teach them something new that requires kinetic knowledge and coordination and stuff like that, it's insane how fast you can pick it up. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is something totally different. But even like playing the piano, you realize just the intent it takes. And so if you transfer a lot of that stuff that made you great, in football or soccer or whatever, whenever you make a transition or pivot, and like you're saying, mixed martial arts or whatever it may be, business, if you take that same mindset, you can achieve the same greatness if you have the skill set and the tools to be successful. And a lot of it's just that mindset. So it, it is kind of cool to see Greg learn all those things that people have probably grown up trying to do, but he's applied that mindset that made him great in football, and that's why he's made to expedite like his skill set because people were talking bad about him, and now he's starting to gain more respect obviously in the new arena that he's competing in. Well, the crazy part about that fight was that he said he heard who was the fighter that was doing the commentating. Daniel Cormier was doing Cormier. that. He said he heard Cormier talking about what he was doing wrong, and he could hear it because there was no fans, and then he applied it to the fight. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, like, I have two problems with this, okay? Because one, it's so hard to be that calm in a fight that you're listening to the cage side commentary and you're applying what they're saying. That's. But what like, if it's empty, OC? What if you can hear literally a pin drop? No, you, you're right. But even in a quiet arena, Zach, I know that you've never been in like a real fight, but like. I'm five and oh, but I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. A real fight. The <laughs> someone punching you in the head, like that drowns out a lot of what you're supposed to be hearing, your own feet on the canvas. But what I'm telling you is that. He's lying? That no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think he's lying. What I'm telling you is that Greg Hardy is a guy who's competed in full stadiums, right? So yeah. this is what I'm talking about. His his mentality, he can be in a fist fight with a dangerous grown man and still be like casual enough, like I'm listening to the things that are happening around. That's very, very difficult. What he was talking about overhearing is like one of the most basic things that can ever be taught in a stand-up exchange in the fight. And it's like, if you were hearing that from the commentary, why weren't you hearing it from your coaches? For- <laughs> Like the coach is telling you this. Like he should have already, he should have already known it. Exactly. So maybe he was just trying to give Daniel Cormier too much love or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. But when I heard that, I was like, I can can imagine like I'm, I'm playing baseball and somebody's like, watch for the slider and I hear it. And then all of a sudden I'm looking for the slider and I hit a triple. I don't think it's far fetched. But, but like it, 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 honestly, Zachariah, what, we're talking about it's the equivalent of if you were playing basketball in an empty arena and you heard the like Bill Walton sitting there cage or sitting there courtside and he's just like I really think that Zachariah should follow through on his jump shot here. It's like the most basic thing in the world. It's not, it's not like he gave him some cheat code. He told him to block a kick. Yeah, so I didn't see it. So how did he did he say it like? It really helped him, or did he say it like sarcastically? Like I heard he the dude talking like trash about him. And, oh. <laughs> and honestly, I believe him. Anyway, so we'll wrap up with this. I want to ask you, what do you think? Because you're just a year retired now, and going into this year, like, what do you think is going to happen with the NFL? They seem to be the only <laughs> sports profession. I mean, I guess NASCAR is coming back. They've been saying some stuff about soccer, but. NFL has been the only one because the Super Bowl was in February and then they just had their normal offseason with free agent signings because that doesn't mean that you have to do yeah. some distancing. And then they had the draft. But where do you think they're going to do in terms of I've heard they've had video trainings online where yeah. they're that people the offense. Like, what do you think is going to happen with the NFL season? They're trying to go full force ahead as far as trying to start this thing on time. I mean, anytime <laughs> you think about how much money is involved in any organization, when it's all about money, yeah, they gonna move. They gonna make some stuff happen. Yeah, and so you know whether or not that's on time or not, I don't know because it may be some social pressure that they have to kind of adhere to. But they're planning on starting this stuff. I think you know whenever the season's supposed to start, the first week in September or not. So it's probably gonna be like an abbreviated training camp because they're gonna probably try to push that back as far as possible, and then try to start this thing on it's, time so that they don't have to deal with any of the economic fallout. And it really doesn't matter if people are in the, in the fans or in the stadium or not, because the way that people are going to consume the game is going to be crazy as far as the networks and the TVs and all the money that's going to come through that way, because the draft was probably the highest watched televised event of all time, just based on what we we're in. So yeah. they don't, they see that and they, yeah. and they're trying to start this thing on time because they know that they can line their pockets with playing football. On a more personal level and more long term, right? 
as Zachariah just said, recently retired. Are you a guy that's going to be in and around officially the NFL as a representative, as a personnel guy, maybe work for a team again, a coach? Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I definitely don't want to coach. That's way too much time involved as far as what they have to do. And after playing for 15 years, I don't want to invest that much time. My priorities, and not like my priorities wasn't always based on my family, but the, the t- amount of time that I'm going to invest is going to be primarily to my family. And then I, whatever I do, you know, like doing podcasts, I've been doing some stuff with the stadium, which is a network out of Chicago. I have some opportunities here locally in Phoenix to do some guest analyst work as well. And I'll do things like that. And then also some consulting work with teams and this other organization that is geared around leadership and character building with young players. And so th- those things are very fluid and easy to manage, you know, when I want to be coaching my son on Saturdays at his flag football game. And so I can be able to do all that but still make the main focus my, my, as my family. Because at this point in my life, the NFL is, has allowed me to become financial free. And so with that, I want to do things that are meaningful in my life and that are going to be legacy driven and not just be trying to chase a check. And that's why you're the man. Love it. Any final thoughts, Zachariah? I know it's important for you to get the last word. No, no, no. I don't need the last word. I would just say thank you to Zoe. Again, I know you don't need to hear that I'm proud of you, but I'm so <laughs> I'm so proud of where you got to. Uh, I just can't believe that like I knew a dude that I went to high school with that got a fat ass contract and was making the Pro Bowl and was in the playoffs with the Bills. Like that to me was not something that I predicted, you know, five, six years ago. Right. Yeah, I didn't either. So but I uh, definitely appreciate that, brother, man. The support and the friendship over the years has definitely been appreciated. For sure. I was surprised when Zachariah said, yeah, I know this dude and I can get him on the podcast. I was like, you don't know anybody that cool. <laughs> <laughs> OC's role on this podcast, just so you know, so he's just he, he just he loves to hate on me. He loves to hate on the kid. I don't know. It's why- easy. It's not easy. I'm a lovable character. I'm nice. Yeah, yeah, we love to hate you, man. Somebody's got to let a little hot air out of that huge-ass head. We're going to have to cut that up, OC. He just said, we love to hate you. That's pretty much a perfect summarization of me and my entire existence. (laughs) Why do you have a mask on in your house? Because you got to be safe. COVID-19, dog. Yeah, because he's infected with everything in that house. You gotta be safe in these streets. <laughs> you gotta be safe in these streets. Yeah, I hear you, brother. All right. <laughs> All right, Zoe. You're the man, Zoe. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, appreciate Thank you, Zoe. All, All right, right, later. All right.